The 2023 MLB Draft wrapped up on Tuesday. I'll give you my final grade for the Atlanta Braves. Plus, we got the All-Star game to talk about where defense was on display, including from Austin Riley. We'll discuss all that on today's episode of Locked on Braves. So let's get into it. You are Locked on Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, and welcome back to Lockdown Braves, part of Lockdown Sports Atlanta, where we cover your favorite Atlanta sports teams each and every day. I'm your host, Jake Mastriani. You can follow me on Twitter at shortstopball. Also, make sure you check out my written work over at bravestoday.com. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at lockdown underscore braves. Send in any questions, comments, or feedback that you have for the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube and you're new, make sure you hit that subscribe button. We're up over 6,100 subscribers now on YouTube, so appreciate the support there. If you're watching there and want to support the show, all you got to do is hit that thumbs up button. And thanks so much for making Lockdown Braves your first listen of each and every day. Thank you so much to all my everydayers out there. Some of the ones from the last episode, Darren Dunn, who says first listen of every day and does so with the whole family. Jeffrey Humphreys also makes it a family event watching with the wife and watches the postcast too. Thank you so much for your support of the show and being an everydayer here at Locked On Braves. On today's episode, we'll conclude the 2023 MLB Draft. I'll go through the day three picks. Spoiler alert, not a ton of excitement on day three, as you might have expected. I'll give you my final draft grades, give you some of my favorite picks from the draft as well, and then we'll discuss the All-Star Game, which could be coming to Atlanta sometime soon. We'll discuss all that on today's episode. But let's start with day three of the MLB Draft, rounds 11 through 20. The Braves had 10 picks on this day. I'll go through each of them pick by pick and just bear with me a little bit. I don't know much of anything about a lot of these players, so take what I say with a bit of a grain of salt, but I did just want to kind of go through them with you, give you some numbers on them, what I think they could potentially be, but just again, I've heard of none of these players who were drafted on day three, which is typically the case. I trust the Braves front office, their scouting department, that they see something in these kids that they can perhaps turn into big league players. But uh, look, it's a crapshoot at this point of the draft. That's why they shortened it to 20, because a lot of players in the back half of the draft were uh, not really turning into much of anything, and a lot of them were just picks that were being wasted. So that's why the draft, part of the reason why the draft has been shortened. But you can still find good talent here at the back end of the draft, and the Braves do a great job of finding those guys. In round 11, pick 339, the Braves took Jace Grady out of Dallas Baptist outfielder, Four-year senior, senior, 5'11", 182, hit over 300 the past three years at Dallas Baptist, which is a really good college program. Double-digit home runs in the past two years as well. More walks than strikeouts this past season, and he performed well on the Cape in 2021. So somebody who's been a very solid, consistent hitter throughout his career, showing a little power, also showing good eye at the plate with more walks and strikeouts this past season. So hopefully something that the Braves can build upon there. In round number 12, at pick 369, the Braves took Brady Day, a second baseman out of Kansas State, left-handed hitter, four-year junior player, six foot 190. In 2023, he slashed 356, 492, 459 with three home runs, eight stolen bases, 49 walks to 22 strikeouts. So another batter here that you're seeing who had more walks and strikeouts, perhaps showing the on-base skills, a good plate discipline, and a feel for hit. 
At the Cape, he, he slashed 250, 333, 313 with eight walks to 15 strikeouts in 23 games. Round number 13, pick 399, Will Verdung out of Etiwamba Junior College, third baseman, right-handed hitter, 6'2", 200. In 49 games at Etiwamba, he, hit, he slashed 389, 484, 706 with 10 doubles, 15 home runs, also had three stolen bases, and 32 walks to 12 strikeouts. A trend that you are seeing here, they're taking a lot of these college guys who have some power, big hit tool, and great place, plate discipline walking more than they strike out, was the conference player of the year there in Itawamba as well. Round number 14, pick 429, Mitch Ferris out of Wingate, a Division II program. Left-handed pitcher. Some of you asked me where all the lefties were. Uh, they took some on day three. A four-year senior here, 6'2", 187, a two-way player, slash 316, 419, 596 with 15 home runs as a hitter over four years. As a pitcher over four seasons, these are absurd, absurd numbers, but you got to keep in mind the level of competition here. Over four seasons at Wingate, 20 and three record, just three losses over four seasons. That's just crazy. 1.92 ERA, a 0.861 whip, 2.2 walk per nine, 12 K per nine, 177 and two thirds innings pitched, and 237 strikeouts. Those numbers are really loud, but again, you got to keep in mind. The competition this past season, 2023, 11-1, and one, a 1.21 ERA, a 0.68 whip. I don't know that I've ever seen a whip that low before. 89 innings pitched, just 39 hits allowed. 16 walks to 127 strikeouts. Now went to the Cape this summer, started three games, didn't quite have that same success. Eight innings pitch, 13 hits to five walks, but still did strike out 13 batters, showing that strikeout potential. Fastball slider changeup and breaking ball combination. Strike thrower, great command is kind of the profile on him. Success comes from mixing up those pitches and keeping hitters off balance. So very pitchability, left-handed pitcher there. See what the Braves can make out of that, but somebody who put up some just insane numbers at the Division II level. In the 15th round, pick 459, the Braves took David Rodriguez of the San Joaquin Delta College, right-handed pitcher, Juco, 6'2", 196, 102 innings this past year, a 2.29 ERA, 124 strikeouts in those 102 innings with just 13 walks. Another trend you're kind of seeing with some of these pitchers the Braves are taking late are pitchers that throw strikes, don't walk a lot of batters. So I think that's very key as well. Round number 16, pick 489, Isaac Gallegos out of New Mexico, another right-handed pitcher, 6'3", 215, 12-game started this past year, a 4.35 ERA, a 1.44 whip, 70 and 1.1 innings pitch, 32 walks to 60 strikeouts. In the 17th round, pick 519, the Braves took Cade Kern, an outfielder from Ohio State, Right-handed hitter, six foot two hundred, slashed 302, 382, 482 with 17 home runs and 135 games at Ohio State. 30 walks to 38 strikeouts this past season. Again, another college bat here you're seeing with pretty good plate discipline. Last year at the Cape, though, hit just 146 with six walks and 12 strikeouts in 18 games. In the 18th round, pick 549, the Braves took Cam McGee, a shortstop out of Washington State. Left-handed hitter, 6'1", 190, transferred from Arizona State to Washington this past season. Mostly started at third base, but spent time at shortstop and second base. So 
Kind of surprised the Braves took him as a shortstop. We'll see how that plays out. But he slashed 297, 387, 395, so not much slug there. Only three home runs, 17 walks to 22 strikeouts. In the 19th round, pick 579, Riley Frey out of Milwaukee. Another left-handed pitcher here. I said they took a couple on day three. This is another one here. Six foot one, 185 pounds, three-year starter at Milwaukee. Just 12 and 21 record, a 4.23 ERA in 249 innings, 239 strikeouts, a 3.6 walk per nine, 8.6 K per nine. But at the Cape this past summer, 4.61 ERA, 13 and two-thirds innings pitched out of the bullpen, six walks and 15 strikeouts, showing a little bit more strikeout potential there and a bullpen roll. And in the final round, round 20, pick 609, the Braves took Will King out of Eastern Kentucky, a catcher, right-handed hitter, 5'9", 190. This past season at, at Eastern Eastern Kentucky, slash 346, 427, 626, with 12 home runs and 22 walks to 27 strikeouts. And at the Cape performed well at slashing 354, 391, 415, with one home run, three walk, and five strikeouts in 21 games. So the Braves perhaps finding a little bit of catcher depth there and the last pick of the draft. So those are your day three picks. Again, nothing really exciting here. Nothing I think they're going to have to go over slot here. These all seem like pretty easy $125,000 signs, which is the you know main uh, bonus portion for these picks, 10s round through 20. Again, I think most of their money is going to be spent on the first couple of days of this draft. So with that in the books, next I want to give you my thoughts, my final grade, opinion, favorite picks from the MLB draft. We'll do that here next. You already know by now that Bird Dog shorts are some of the best looking and fitting shorts on the market, and I'm so happy they sent me a pair. I'm wearing them right now. I actually wore them all around the hospital this past week because not only do they feel amazing to wear, also looks pretty good for all the baby pics at the hospital. Bird Dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long, which I enjoy here in these hot summer days. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB to enter promo code locked on MLB for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on MLB promo code locked on MLB for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. The Rays will kick off the second half at home against the Chicago White Sox at 7.20 p.m. Eastern on Friday night. The Braves will try to pick up where they left off, continuing to win a series in the second half of the season. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Braves. We'll also do our first half review, second half preview on Thursday, and then have our mailbag episode on Friday as usual. And then next week, be back into the swing of things with the second half getting kicked off and we get geared up for the trade deadline as well. I'm sure we'll have a lot more coverage of that as we move into the middle of July. But for now, I want to give my overall thoughts on the 2023 MLB draft. I want to start by saying I am not a, a draft expert. I know a lot about the college hitters that I cover for College Baseball Nation here in the SEC, so I know a lot of the, the top picks and some of the guys who go on day two, but day three, most people don't really have much of an idea of any of those players. You're just hoping and trusting the scouting department that they find something in these players that they can turn into quality professional baseball players or perhaps guys who can make an impact at the big league level. 
one day. That being said, again, not an overly exciting draft top to bottom for me. I think they made some splashes early on, but then not really much after that, which you know is typically the way a draft should go. The best players being taken, taken at the top and then it kind of descending from there. And I feel like that's exactly how this has gone, but it's not what we're used to when we're watching a Braves draft or we're following a Braves draft. We're used to seeing them taking high upside guys early on that perhaps they get under slot and then they take a couple of shots in the mid rounds, sometimes even in the you know fir- first three rounds of day three where they take a shot on a high school player, go over slot on them and try to sneak somebody else in as well. That wasn't the case in this draft. And you really look at it, it's top heavy. The first six picks I think are all pretty solid. Waldrop, Hackenberg, Keeler, uh, Savalos, Bauman, and Drake. I think those are all pretty solid picks that have the ability and opportunity to have an impact at the big league level. Everything after that feels kind of bland, and they all felt like money-saving picks uh, to kind of help you know pay for those early picks. Again, I'd be somewhat surprised if there's anybody after round six that they have to go over slot on. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, and that's typically how a draft should go. You're taking the best players with your top picks, and then it's descending from that. That's just not what we've come to expect from this Braves draft room in this front office. Now, one thing to keep in mind here, this is their first draft without Dana Brown, who has moved on to the Astros and is now the GM of the Astros. Maybe that plays into it a little bit. The strategies maybe change some. I think more than anything, I think Waldrop, I don't want to say completely changed their draft strategy, but I, I do think it, it changed things a little bit. I can't imagine they thought he would be there. And you don't get an opportunity or a chance to grab a guy at 24 like that who already has the stuff to be a frontline starter. And I think once that happened, the Braves really had to, to switch things around to get that guy. Again, you just don't get that opportunity late in the first round. And maybe I'm being too high on Waldrop. It seems like from other the, some of the other outlets I'm reading that, that maybe I am the high guy on him, but you know, if you listen to this podcast, when I was doing some MLB draft prep, and that was the one guy I kept talking about who I said I think has the second best stuff in this entire draft behind Paul Skeens. Is there some risk there? Yes, but you're talking about having a 24th pick in a draft and you're possibly have the potential of getting a one or two starter just on based on pure stuff. And I'll talk more about Waldrop here in a minute, but I just think when the Braves saw that opportunity, they couldn't pass up on it. And then the money it's probably going to take to sign Waldrop really affected what they could do later in the draft. So I think those two things are part of it. You know, perhaps a new regime with Dana Round gone, maybe uh, things changing up a little bit there in the front office and the strategy that they have. And also, I just think Waldrop kind of falling to them at 24 really kind of switched things up as well. Eight of the first 10 picks were all right-handed pitchers. We were hearing some noise coming into the draft that perhaps the Braves were going to target hitters more. In this draft, which would have been a you know a, a, a shift from what we've seen from them over the years, continuing to go pitcher heavy, I have no problem with this. I said this going in. I was I was surprised when we heard some of the the rumors that the Braves might go hitter early. There were a lot of good hitters in this draft, but like I said the other day, I think that's why somebody like a Waldrop got pushed down because there were a lot of safe bats in this draft. I've also maintained and said I think you got to take hitter stats at the college level this year with a huge grain of salt because I'm seeing guys flick baseballs, being out on the front foot, and then all of a sudden just flying over the outfield fence. So something's going on with the baseballs at the college level. But 
That being said, I'm fine with going with pitchers early. We see just this year how important it is to have a great depth of pitching in your farm system. Braves came in this year with a pretty much 11 deep of the starting rotation, and they've had to use all of those guys and then some. That wasn't even including A.J. smith Shaver at the time. It, injuries happen to pitchers. They're inevitable. You got to have a big you know, list of guys who you can continue to bring up and be part of your starting rotation. They're just so injury you know, there's so much injury risk with starting pitchers. It's why you don't see Alex Anastopoulos lining up or signing up a lot of these guys long-term because there just is so much risk there. And how do you offset that? Continue to have guys coming through the system who can contribute. The other thing it does, it continues to give you trade chips. The Braves can't trade for a Matt Olson or a Sean Murphy or make these deadline deals if they don't have pitching, which is what teams are always looking for. And plus, the other thing is you already have your position player group locked up for pretty much the rest of this decade. So I'm fine with the strategy of going with all the pitchers early on. Now, at the end of the day, it was 12 pitchers and nine position players. So it ended up kind of evening out. But at the top of the draft, Braves certainly went pitching heavy. Just two high school players taken with Embalman and Drake. And I think there's only three overslot picks in this draft. Again, I'm not a huge expert on that, especially when it comes to the bonus pool and how that's going to work out. But when I look at this class, I'm throwing, I'm seeing maybe three overslot picks in Waldrop, Bauman, and Drake. So again, that's why I'm a little bit more down on this class because you didn't see that guy picking in the late on day two or early on day three that maybe you'd go overslot for on a high schooler to you know get them out of their commit to college. Now, my favorite picks of this draft Obviously, Waldrop is my favorite, a guy I talked about a lot going into this draft, but I didn't think would be available. There are some big concerns there, but the concerns are command. And I'm sure there's some mechanical adjustments there that the Braves are looking at that maybe they can make to help him with that command. But that's really it. I mean, if you get that figured out, he already has three plus pitches. I mentioned he has perhaps the best pitch in this entire draft in that split finger but he also has a you know mid to upper 90s fastball, and he has a really good uh, slider as well. You're talking about a guy with three-plus pitches who I think the ceiling could be a number one, probably a number two. I think the floor is probably a, you know, a setup elite-type reliever, maybe even a closer, and you get that at 24. And I think that's why the Braves had to jump all over that. But, again, you get the command issues figured out. You work on – you know, the mechanics and tunneling those pitches a little bit better with how great that splitter is. And I think you're looking at a guy who I think pretty easily has a ceiling of a number two starter. And then I like the Drake pick as well, the young kid out of North Atlanta High School. I love taking players from your home area. I just think it's fun, especially when it hits like that. Sometimes it does in the case of Michael Harris. Sometimes it doesn't in the case of Lucas Sims. But I, I love taking guys out of your own area because it just makes it so much more fun to root for those guys once they do get there. I mentioned Michael Harris. A lot of people giving some Michael Harris vibes to Isaiah Drake. I think that's a little unfair, but you know I see some of the similarities because it's a raw kid out of Atlanta, has all the talent in the world. He already has a floor as somebody with elite speed who can cover a lot of ground in the outfield. It's all going to be about that hit tool and how it develops, but I think he's going to be a really fun prospect to watch for a lot of years who cracks my top 30 Waldrop definitely 
does. In fact, I'd probably put him in the top five right now of all of Braves prospects. After that, I'm honestly not positive who else cracks the top 30 prospects for the Braves. And that's that's tough to say because this isn't a very deep system. Certainly those top picks that I mentioned, those first six picks, I think will all have a case. I'd have to do a deeper dive um, to see you know which ones would drop in the top 30, which ones are probably going to move out of the top top 30. But I don't see anybody cracking the top 15 and probably not even the top 20. I think Drake, maybe Ballman would be somebody uh, that would crack that top 20. Part of this is probably because I'm not too high on Keeler, uh, the pitcher out of Campbell. Some are. I've listened to some other podcasts, some other reviews of the Braves draft, and there's a lot of people who are a lot higher on Keeler than I am. I'm just not that high on him. I think I think maybe he could be a solid fourth or fifth starter, and if that's what you get for your third pick in the draft, you know, then that's great. That's certainly not bad value at all. I just don't see a lot of upside there. There are some people who disagree with me, and they do see some upside. I think a lot depends on that pick if there is some upside there. But again, if he becomes a fourth or fifth starter, that's perfectly fine. I'm just not overall too high on that pick, you know, for your third pick in the draft. I would like to take somebody that perhaps has a little bit more upside. But again, that's me saying that. I'm not the expert here. Again, I'd put Waldrop in my top five right now, especially in terms of upside, which is how I always put together my rankings. But outside of that, I'm not sure that anybody else in this draft really cracks the the top 20 embrace prospects. I think you'll probably see some put between the 21 to 30 range in the top 30. So my draft grade overall, first I'll start by saying this wasn't an easy draft for the Braves. They had the ninth lowest bonus pool money to spend at just over $8.3 million. When you consider that Waldrop will probably demand almost half of that, it doesn't give you a lot of room to work with and go over slot on some high school players in those middle rounds or those late late rounds on day two, early rounds on day three, like we've seen the Braves do in the past. Of course, you, you can't really judge a class until you see who all signs. I think they're going to sign all 21 of these picks and for how much. There are teams who have classes that I like better, but if they aren't able to sign some of those high school talents, which I'll be honest, I think it's getting harder to sign high school players now because you got NIL money. If you're going to go to an, an LSU, a Vanderbilt, you know some of these big college schools that have really great facilities, better facilities than you're going to have at the minor league levels. And then you can get some NIL money. You get that experience. I think college is becoming a much more attractive path for a lot of high school players. So we'll see how many of these high school players who were taken, you know, later on day two, early on day three actually sign. But, you know, that's overly or ultimately going to decide how, how good some of these um, classes are. And I can't blame the front office for going all in on a guy like Waldrop, who I hyped up so much before the draft, but it almost feels like they're putting this entire draft on one guy. And that's not fair to Waldrop. And they may, that may not be fair to say of this class, but it almost feels like this entire draft class is, is based on the outcome of Waldrop and him becoming a top of the rotation pitcher. I could very easily see where this class where Waldrop you know, doesn't work out. And I still think the floor is a, you know, a, a dominant setup guy, perhaps even a closer, but I, I could very easily see a scenario where Waldrop doesn't hit that top of the rotation ceiling as a starter. Um, Drake never comes around with the hit tool. Bauman never, never figure, figures it out with that big frame. Keeler is that, you know, fourth or fifth starter, and that's all he really 
becomes. I, I could see that for this draft class pretty easily. And that's why this draft class scares me a little bit. Something, um, you know, this is something you got to keep in mind. This front office, this organization, they have a lot of success in identifying talent. And one thing you can't always see on just looking at numbers for these players is the metrics on a lot of these pitchers or the exit velocities on a lot of these hitters, something that this Braves front office and their scouting team does better than anybody. So I certainly trust these guys, and I look forward to seeing some of these players at the professional level to see what these scouts and the Braves see in them that can make them good, viable big leaguers. I have no doubt that every single one of these players took that the Braves saw something in them that they think they can build upon to become a big league player. I have no doubt in my mind about that. But just on the surface and what I'm seeing and how this draft played out, I can't give this draft more than a C-plus grade right now. Again, we got to see who all signs for how much and all of that. But just for right now, when, I, when I'm looking at this draft, I'm seeing it's very top-heavy. I think they went in highly on a couple of guys at the top and then just really went with some lower level signings, some, you know, slot value signings late in the draft. And they really just went with quality over quantity in this one. They took a shot on a few upside players early in the draft and then just really went with some slot level, easy sign, senior sign type of picks later in the draft. So that's why I give this a C plus, but again, I am not the Braves front office. I'm not an expert in all this. I'm just giving you my opinion of it, trying to give you a little bit of insight of what I'm seeing. But don't get me wrong. I can't wait to see these guys in professional baseball. Hopefully they get them signed up quick. Again, especially those guys at the top. I don't know how much Waldrop will pitch this year. He made 19 starts at the collegiate level as Florida went all the way to the College World Series final. But I can't wait to see Drake, Ballman, some of those other guys. Can't wait to see what they can do. Uh, Sabalos as well. Uh, really looking forward to seeing him Hackenberg even I, I watched some video of him and that slider that he had just looked nasty so I can't wait to see what the Braves do with him so again I'm excited about a lot of these guys mostly those first six picks outside of that I think this is a pretty underwhelming draft but I think there's something to build on with those first six picks that the Braves made all right next we'll get into the all-star game where the National League finally won we'll talk about the highlights from the Braves players and the all-star game possibly coming back to Atlanta soon we'll discuss all that here next This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes in life, we're faced with tough choices, and the path forward isn't always clear, whether it's in our work life, relationships with our kids at home. If you're thinking of starting therapy to help with these tough choices, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnMLB today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnMLB. One thing I failed to mention earlier in the week, Max Freed made his first rehab appearance on Sunday with Gwinnett, went just an inning in a third, gave up one hit, two walks, no earned, with one strikeout on 35 pitches. Uh, that right there probably tells you this is going to be a slow Build up for Max Freed. I thought, you know, maybe initially they could give him two starts at a minimum, but I always thought it would be at least three starts. And it's looking like it will be at least three starts, if not more, for Max Freed to kind of get built 
back up. 35 pitches on Sunday. We'll see if next time maybe he's more around 50, and then you work towards 75, and then I think we could be ready to see him back at the big league level. But they're certainly not going to push it. Something this first half has really done for the Braves. It's given them a cushion to be slow with guys like Freed and Kyle Wright and make sure when they come back, they're back for good, they're healthy and ready to go. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported that Atlanta is in the running to host the 2025 All-Star Game, according to Rob Manfred. Please make it happen. Rob Manfred, still upset you took the game away from us the first time. Shouldn't have happened, but hopefully that gets corrected in the Braves in Atlanta. That city gets the All-Star Game it should have gotten. Speaking of All-Star Games, National League won on Tuesday night. First time that they've won since 2012, only the fourth time since 1996. They won the game 3-2 to two, thanks to a two-run homer in the eighth inning from Elias Diaz of the Rockies, unsuspecting hero there. And Craig Kimbrell closed it out, although he walked a couple of batters, made it interesting, as Braves fans might be familiar with, but he does close it out for the National League. So great to see old friend Craig Kimbrell get a save in the All-Star game. Defense really shine in this one. Adolis Garcia of the Rangers made a nice catch to Rob Acuna of, of extra bases to start the game. He made another catch later in the game to uh, take a hit away from Sean Murphy. He had an All-Braves infield at one point, which was pretty cool. Riley made a great bare-handed play, and Olsen assisted with a scoop over at first. He also snagged a line drive later in the game and threw to first for a double play where Pete Alonzo actually bailed him out with a scoop over there with some really good defense in this one. Um, Rosarena had a great catch to Rob Freddie Freeman as well. Murphy threw out a Rosarena trying to steal. So defense was really the highlight in this game, which you don't think of much, especially if you're a fan of some of the other all-star games, but that was certainly on display for the MLB all-star game. But again, the National League gets the three to two win. Hopefully the Braves will get a win on a Friday night when they take on the Chicago White Sox at 7.20 p.m. Eastern. And hopefully the Braves can get going in the second half of the season. Catch every pitch of the Braves' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app, Search Braves. That will do it for this episode of Locked On Braves. Thanks so much for making us your first listen of each and every day. If you're an everydayer, let me know down in the comment section below on YouTube. Make sure you follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOn underscore Braves. You can follow me on Twitter at ShortstopBall. Also, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the Locked On Braves podcast wherever you get your podcast, and we will talk to you next time. Hey, this is Stacey Gotsoulias, DC Lundberg, Ryan Finkelstein, Taylor Blake Ward, host of Locked On Yankees, Locked On Mariners, Locked On Mets, Locked On Angels, and you're listening to Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Locked On Braves. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 